special technique. Special technique of shadow boxing. Yo, 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 what's up, what's up, what's going on, everybody? You are here, and this is the latest episode of the Boxing Source Radio Show on Sunday, December 23rd, 2018. I am your host, James Bell, lead boxing analyst for the Cold Hard Truth on Sports. You can catch boxing articles and more on thechtonsports.com. That is thechtonsports.com. Number to dial in, 347-237-5539. That is 347-237-5539. Press the one key to get on cue. You'll be able to talk live on the show. Uh, We have about one hour of uh, live boxing talk, and then uh, we're going to have a little bit of overtime to, you know, cover what's, uh, you know, going on in the boxing scene, uh, you know, after this particular weekend. Uh, so want to get right into it. Um, you know, we had a lot of action, you know, um, <clears throat> had a lot of action, uh, there on Saturday, as we had a few key fights uh, that went down, um, you know, particularly you had uh, two uh, that happened over in the UK side, uh, two cars that were in the UK side, and then uh, you had, you know, what went down over in, <clears throat> excuse me, at the uh, Barclays Center. Uh, so uh, we're going to basically uh, get into that. As um, you know, we had you know a fairly eventful uh, card over at the O2 Arena, and also in uh, Manchester Arena. Uh, so, want to get you know basically into uh, that uh, first with the heavyweight fight that happened at the. Uh, Excuse me. At the O2 Arena in uh, Greenwich, as you had the a rematch between Dylan White and Derek Chisora uh, for uh, two uh, minor uh, belts for the WBC and WBO. <laughs> Excuse me. And um, you know we also had um, that be the I think the first defense of that WBO International Heavyweight title for White and the third defense of the silver uh, title uh, of the WBC by Dylan White. Excuse me. I'm going through some um, voice issues here for this particular show. 
Um, but uh, pretty much wanted to start off with all of that. Uh, just uh, checking in here. We got like a caller, area code 516. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, what's up? Jesse Rican, Long Island. How you doing? Doing uh, good there, brother. Doing good. Uh, coming out of uh, Long Island. Uh, just like uh, about to cover uh, the shows that are um, that happened over in the U.K., uh, you over in uh, Long Island, were you able to catch the uh, card in Brooklyn? Yeah, I, I was going to actually call about the Barclays that night. So, yeah, I went there, actually. I was there in person. Um, All right. Hey, uh, hey we could uh, get your thoughts about uh, that card then real quick about, you know, what happened. Uh, because, I, you know, I, that's pretty I, much been the story of of the of, uh, last night was, you know, what happened over there, particularly with that co-feature bout. <laughs> Right. Well, I, I mean, you know, I was there in person, and everybody in my section, I haven't seen it on TV, but uh, from the people I've talked to, they agree with me. Jamel, Jamel Charlo got robbed. You know, uh, not, not one person in there was expecting the unanimous decision to go to to Tony Harrison. Um, I, I don't know how the judges scored it that way. Uh, I I guess I gotta I, I don't know I gotta rewatch the fight I don't know did you get a chance to see it or Yeah I mean I watched the whole thing uh, there uh, that was the PBC on Fox telecast uh, I mean you know I was going going into that fight I expected that you know Jamel Charlo was gonna you know get the you know get the win over uh, Tony Harrison and going through that course of the fight. Um, it, it didn't look like Tony Harrison was really doing, you know, enough to really have much of an advantage in in this fight with uh, Jamel Charlo. And that Jamel Charlo was the one that was putting more combinations together. He was the one that was uh, more aggressive in that particular fight. Um, and all I saw from Tony Harrison was, you know, basic, you know, one twos or you know, just one punch um, attacks coming from him. And that, you know, I, I, I felt that. You know, Jamel Charlo had like an advantage of, I think, eight rounds to four. I think that's what I was saying was before the uh, judges' scorecards went down was that I you know, wouldn't be surprised if I saw like one or two uh, 116, 112 uh, cards for Jamel Charlo. But uh, we ended up getting a 116, 112, and then two 115, 113s for Tony Harrison to get like a clear decision. And, 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 and I was just shocked. I was, I, I just couldn't believe it that, you know, it, it basically happened uh, there and, you know, them giving that WBC 154 pound title to uh, Tony Harrison uh, out there. Um, you know, it, it was like a completely different, you know, fight from Harrison than, you know, going up against Jared Hurd where he ended up getting knocked out uh, there. But, right. um, you know, the, my thing with uh, Jamel Charlo was that, you know, over his uh, past couple of fights, he he hadn't really looked like he wanted to be aggressive enough to take out his opponent when he was, like, highly favored. Um, his previous fight was against, Austin Trout, and he had a lot of issues, you know, trying to catch Austin Trout in that particular matchup, and, you know, he ended up getting a unanimous decision, but it was a very tough out uh, for him, and to me, this this one was to look like an easier fight than the Trout fight, and they were able to give, like, a clear decision to Tony Harrison in that one. Right. Yeah, I'm, I, 
you know, like I said, I'm I'm baffled how Jamal Charlo lost that fight. At a unanimous decision at that. Um but everybody in my section we were we were shocked. Everybody I talked to was shocked afterwards. Uh, you know, no disrespect to Tony Harrison, but I I got to cry robbery a little here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, soon after, uh, you know, that particular fight, um, you know, he said he has no issues, um, you know, giving a rematch to uh, Jamel Charlo uh, there. And, you know, that may, you know, end up being next up uh, for both of those guys. But it kind of like throws a little bit of a wrench in the plans of, you know, a potential, you know, undefeated matchup that would have happened between Jamel Charlo and Herb. Herb. Yeah, and, you know, Herb was really looking forward to that, you know, coming off of his win that he had against Jason Wellborn on December 1st. So, um, yeah, that kind of, you know, that was like one of the biggest shocks of the year that, you know, they were able to come down with that type of a decision. I mean, it's boxing, right? You know, I guess the judges saw it one way. I don't, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So. Yeah, it was crazy. And then, um, you know, you had the main event there uh, with his brother Jamal Charlo. Um, he ended up facing. Which Matt I think Corbaugh. he did a great. I think he did a fine job. I don't understand what Rick Glacier was talking about on Facebook talking about he got exposed, but you know. Yeah, Rick Glaze is uh, one one guy that's, you know, highly popular but highly controversial in, uh, you know, his comments or, you know, what he ends up reporting. But I don't even know what he was talking about that he got exposed. In what way did he get exposed? It's a boxing fight. You know? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think, you know, it probably just goes into, you know, the trap of expecting something but seeing, you know, something completely different. Um, you know, I think they, they kind of like felt that he would walk through Matt Korobov, uh, you know, given that Korobov only had one week's notice uh, to be in that fight. But, I mean, you're going up against a Korobov that, you know, is a southpaw. And, you know, it's always troublesome, you know, trying to fight southpaws, especially uh, when, the, you know, you only get, you know, one week's notice of, uh, you know, right. fighting them. So that's what, you know, you basically had. And, you know, he did get tagged a couple of times with the left hand, but he kind of, you know, pushed the action there at the tail end of that particular fight um, in order to get that unanimous uh, decision win there. So um, he moves forward as, you know, still the highest-ranked contender for that WBC title. Um, you know, they, they had reports out there that they're still trying to get him and uh, Gennady Golovkin to fight for that number one position at the WBC belt. Um, I don't know how far that's going to go. It probably depends on, you know, what uh, Golovkin ends up doing uh, there. But uh, what do you think about Jamal Charlo out there in the middleweight division right now? Uh, I would love to see Charlo versus Jacobs, Charlo versus Canelo. I, I think Charlo's a great fighter. Um, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still gonna be a Charlo. Fan. I, I'm not a fanatic, but I'm a fan, you know, of of both Charlo brothers. Um, you know, J- Jared Hurd. You know, it, but the funny part is, why can't we still see Hurd versus Charlo, even though Charlo lost his fight? Does it have to be a winner? Has to see him. 
Right, exactly. Like, I mean, it could still happen. You know, it could definitely still happen. It just, you know, didn't. You know, because Hurt didn't really look that great his last fight. Hurt didn't look that great his last fight. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, it's like, you know, Hurt was, you know, coming off his uh, win over Aris Landy Lara in April. And, you know, he did have the shoulder injury. And, Fight of the year. Uh, Fight of the year. You know, and uh, tried to recover from that. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it's just that, you know, he was trying to fit himself out against Jason Wellborn. Um, yeah, he did He did have a good number of issues in those first couple of rounds uh, before he ended up uh, having that body attack uh, there to take out uh, Jason Wilburn. So uh, you just got to see what, what his next uh, course of action is. Um, you know, I, I talked with him, you know, last month uh, before, you know, he was getting all prepared for uh, that uh, title defense. And he said that, you know, he wanted to, you know, have his fight on December 1st and, you know, fight a mandatory and then go up against uh, Jamal Charlo. And so, you know, now I think, you know, that still could basically happen. I don't see where, you know, those plans can't get uh, thrown off in any sense. Yeah. Uh, um. Yeah, you know, I would still like to see a Hurt Charlo fight, you know, with, with um, Tony Harrison. I, I don't know. I, do, I don't even really want to see a rematch. Wait, wait. I mean, so t- t- okay. So Harrison is a champion now, though, right? Yes, he is WBC uh, champ. Okay, so Hurt Hurt is a champ, though, right? Yeah, he's uh, you know unified champ WBA and IBF. Okay, so we can still see Charlo versus Hurt as now. Harrison's next fight is a little more. Who who would you like to see Harrison go against? It, let's say uh, Char- Charlo and her goes on, could, because we have to see Harrison fight again. You know, um, there was the you know possibility that uh, you might have this might be a chance for uh, Julian Williams to get a title. Uh, you know, try to get another shot at the title. Oh, J Rock. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, you know, he, he's, he's now, you know, he's the highest ranked contender uh, there at the, for the WBC title. Uh, so, you know, he had that, you know, option of either, you know, fighting for the WBC title or fighting for the IBF title. Cause he's the number one contender in, you know, both of those rankings. So, um, I mean, we we could possibly see that or, you know, maybe Tony Harrison just ends up trying to, you know, go for a, um, you know, another voluntary defense. But, you know, Harrison versus J-Rock Williams would be would be a possibility, and it's something that, you know, I would say is a uh, toss-up type of a fight. Um, oh, can, can, I, can, I, can I say one last thing, too? Go ahead. Being at the event yesterday, I saw um, I got the pleasure of meeting Keith one time Thurman. Yeah. Uh who who's making his return to the ring? Um I but I love the matchup. Like, Josito Josito Lopez is a problem, you know. Yeah. Uh what 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 do you think about that fight? Yeah, that uh fight there with um, you know, Keith Thurman coming back, 
uh, going up against Josezito Lopez. That, and, I mean, that's something that, you know, I think that Keith Thurman shouldn't overlook, uh, especially with him being, you know, on the shelf as long as he's been. Um, that's kind of a, you know, a tough uh, matchup to, you know, go right into, um, you know, having that as your, uh, you know, comeback fight particularly. Um, and here it is. It's, it's about one month away, and um, you know, uh, Lopez is a you know very tough out. You know, he's had a you know good string of victories. Is you know won his past few fights, so um, you know it, it could it could end up being a good uh, amount of problems for him, uh, especially if uh, Lopez is very active in those first few rounds. Um, I don't think that Keith Thurman should start out slowly in that particular matchup. Yeah, man, I think it's a great fight, but I I, ha- I have Thurman winning though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I got Thurman favored in that fight. You know, it's just a um, I just got to see what what his you know overall plans are going to be there for 2019 to see if uh you know he's gonna you know move forward and try to you know have a uh, another uh, high profile fight later on down the line in 2019 or. You know, maybe try to get that WBC title back, but you know he has to wait for um, um, Porter's defense because he's going up against your Dennis Ugas in uh, you know in uh, March. So uh, that's something that we're we're gonna have to look into to see hey, where. You know, it's so funny seeing. I'm I'm sorry. It's so funny seeing the the these um, boxers in person. You know, because I'm 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 five nine Porter. <laughs> And Keith Thurman is like so much short. Like you know, I'm I'm, I'm looking at this beast. But I'm looking down on him. You know, <laughs> like, and yeah, it, I mean, it's so funny yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, because like once you get into like the um, you know, anyone with below the 154 pound division, you kind of like see how small uh, they are. So you know, you know, someone. You know, like you that's around, you know, like five nine, you see, you know, those welterweights they're there at like five seven or so. Um Right. But you know you know, but me, I'm I'm kinda like a heavyweight. I'm you know, up there like six three in the two hundreds. So, you know, looking at guys like a uh you know, Gary Russell Junior when I met him or you know, somebody like that, um, you know, they just look a lot smaller <laughs> you know, in person. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. Yeah, I, you know, I met Wade, I met Wade Mayweather before, and it's so funny yeah. looking down. Like I say, I like this beast of a man in a way. You know what I mean? But you actually right. like it, it. It's almost comical, on uh, not comical, but you know what I mean. I I didn't mean yeah. to use that word. Yeah. Right. But yeah, it's just, it, you know it's something when you see these guys that are athletes and you know they train a lot and you know do what they do. Um, but you know just meeting them, you know face to face, you, you kind of like see you know how how they are as far as like size wise compared to you. You know a lot of these guys aren't you know around that you know average height or weight um, that you see you know commonly. So um, seeing these guys be out there being being able to give all they can in the ring, you know, every single time that they step in the ring, you know, kind of like gives a, you know, new level of respect to them when they're able to do it. Right. Well. You know, so, so yeah, that's um, you know, that's what we had uh, going out there. Um, so you're able to catch Keith Thurman uh, out there. 
Um, you know, he had like a few other people out there. You know, Deontay Wilder was out there. Gavante Davis was out there. Um, yeah, Jerry I didn't Harris. get a chance to meet them. What what I usually do at the and I had great seats also. Um, I had second level seats for, which is why I love the Barclay. You got second level seat. I I paid sixty dollars, but I had like great vision of the ring and stuff. Um, yeah. And what you do is go out to the bar area and just wait for these boxes to usually pass by. Yep. I'm guaranteed you. Guaranteed you always meet a boxer, you know, when you yep. go out to the bar area. Um, I, I, and I actually snuck down to the – I managed to get myself back down to the VIP bar for the final fight. But, mm-hmm. unfortunately, I didn't get to see a boxer. I, I you know, I met uh, Michael Che, who's an actor on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Um, I got to meet, but it, you know, but it's so funny because I, you know, I just kept walking downstairs, and somebody's like, "Oh, you need a bracelet there," and I'm like, "Oh," and he just yeah, gave me oh, a bracelet okay. to put on. Yeah, and no, but then he gave me a bracelet to put on. He uh, was like, "Here yeah. you go," <laughs> yeah. and then, and then I went downstairs and. I'm sitting with all the rich and famous, not well, not famous, but like all these rich people, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah sometimes catch those, you know, type of moments out there in the Barclays, you know, depending on the type of event and things like that. But yeah, like with the Barclays Center Arena itself, that's why, you know, having those events over there is, you know, pretty good because there's really not a uh, bad seat around there at the Barclays. So whether you're in the right, 100 right. level. You know, near ringside or 200, you, you get a good little vision of what's, you know, the action there in the ring. So, yeah, that's why, um, you know, they're going to be, you know, back there, you know, next month. So, um, and you know, what's funny, me, me and the guy next to us had to remind each other because, you know, you're, you're at the Barclay, you have these great seats, you look at them, fight in person, but then your eyes drift off to the camera for some reason. Yeah, and like, and then you go, hold on, we we could get a better vision just watching the fight. So yeah, you know, me and me and the guy next to me both me like, you're like, yo, we catch each other drifting off to the camera. Remind us mm-hmm. that the fight is, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we, yeah, it's like right there. And, yeah, yeah, we kept doing it to each other too, which I thought was pretty funny. Yeah. I mean, they, yeah, they do have a couple of times when, uh, you know, you do catch yourself looking up there at the, uh, you know, with the uh, big box, you know, above the ring. Um, right. And But, yeah, like I was saying, I mean, you, you have like, a, you know, very good seats out there. So, you know, whether you're in the 200 or 100 level, then you, you got to, you got to, you know, you got to see where you're able to see everything and see what's around you. So, um you know, kind of like, you know, see the Barclays Center as, you know, one of the better arenas there for, for boxing. Yeah, I love the Barclays. Yeah, so, um, and uh, that you did have that one fight uh, there before the Charlos faced each other, which was the uh, thing with uh, Dominic Brazil uh, going up against Carlos Negron. Um, they're in a the heavyweight fight. 
Um, mm-hmm. You have still there's the current WBC uh, mandatory contender, you know, even though he's ranked number four in the WBC rankings, if I'm not mistaken, um, going up against Carlos Negron. And I think this was like, you know, Brazil's first fight of, you know, this year in 2018. I think his last fight was November 4th. That's, that's, that's the Puerto Rican guy, right? Yeah, yeah, Negron was Puerto Rican guy. Uh, you know what's funny? I, I lost $5 off of that. Because, cause, you know, you're sitting next to people, you're making friendly bets and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, all right, he's going to lose, but he's not going to go down. Puerto Ricans have tough chins. And he got knocked out. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I had to give the $5. Yeah. Yeah, the thing with me was, I mean, I, I you know, before the fight, I kind of, like, expected, um, you know, I expected – Dominic Brazil to get the win in that particular fight. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I saw like beforehand that Carlos Negron had, you know, had one loss in it, in his professional career, but it was by TKO, uh, you know, to, you know, somebody in uh, Bayamon, uh back in 2011, and he really didn't, you know, fight many people um, after that, with the exception of maybe one or two guys. Um, so, you know, my thing was, I thought that, you know, Dominic Brazil, if he was supposed to be the guy that says, okay, I'm the, you know, mandatory, I should be getting this shot for the title against Deontay Wilder, then he should be able to show that he's much better than, you know, a guy of, uh, Carlos Negron's caliber. And we really didn't see, you know, much of that for most of that fight until, you know, Dominic Brazil ended up, you know, hitting him with that right hand and then. That was all she wrote. So, um, I mean, Brazil ended up calling out Deontay Wilder after that. Uh, who knows what's going on with that? Uh, Deontay Wilder isn't really, you know, concerned about a fight with Brazil right now. He's still, you know, working on trying to make that rematch between him and Tyson Fury uh, to see what's going on with that. So, um, you know, with that being said, I, I pick, is- I pick Fury on the, I pick Fury on the rematch. By the way. Are you picking Fury in the rematch? I think he beat him the first time. I think he'll do it again. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, Fury was able to, you know, show that he has, still has boxing skill, uh, still very elusive uh, there, you know, even in his weight class, even at his uh, stature. Um, and, you know, his height and reach were, you know, one thing that was a uh, problem for, you know, Deontay Wilder. That was like the first time, in Deontay Wilder's career where you face somebody of Fury's caliber that was taller than him and had that type of reach. You know, he didn't really have to deal with that in, you know, many of his fights. So uh, he just couldn't make those adjustments uh, there, you know, for most of that fight other than the times where he was able to touch uh, Fury and knock him down those two times. So, yeah, if they, you know, have another fight uh, later on down the line, then, yeah, I have Fury uh, favored as the winner in that particular matchup as well. Oh, so. Um, awesome, man. Thank you for call- letting me call in. Uh, no doubt, no doubt, my man, no doubt. Thanks for calling in. I, if you I'll, keep um, me on mute, I'll, I will listen to the rest of the show. Yeah, 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 no doubt. Um, so... 
you also had uh, the action that was going down in uh, England, uh, you know, earlier, as uh, you had over in the O2 Arena the rematch between Dylan White and Derek Chisora. Of course, in that uh, first fight, uh, you had you know Dylan White get the uh, decision win over Derek Chisora, where you know a good number of people felt that uh, Derek Chisora uh, got the should have got the decision. Uh, there, uh, but here we are, uh, exactly uh, two years later. Uh, you know, both of these guys coming off uh, you know wins. You know, with uh, Dylan White uh, coming off that decision win over Joseph Parker, while as part of the undercard of that event, you had Derek Chisora, uh getting the knockout win of Carlos Tackham to put him uh, in this particular position. Uh, so you know, we kind of we kind of like expected you know, a lot of action between these two fighters. And uh, we basically, you know, got that particularly right off the uh, first round and the first few rounds was that uh, you had, you know, Dylan White uh, out there um, trying to figure out what Derek Chisora was doing. And Derek Chisora was pretty much uh, having himself uh, going forward for most of that, for most of that fight. you know, there were times when, you know, Dylan White wanted to stick in the inside and, you know, try to trade with Derek Chisora a couple of times. Uh, you know, but then about the, you know, I would say the halfway point of the fight, you kind of like seeing Dylan White make an adjustment, try to, you know, be more active while both fighters were in distance. He tried to use the jab a little bit more. Uh, he incorporated the uppercut uh, to, you know, try to get back into the fight. Uh, for me, you know, I felt that, you know, in the first half of the fight that Derek Chisora, you know, was a little bit more active, uh, did, you know, try to get to Dylan White a little bit more and had a lead going into the uh, seventh rounds there. Uh, but Dylan White was able to make adjustments and uh, then, you know, kind of like get a little bit of an upper hand, but you still had Derek Chisora still game, still coming forward, still coming after Dylan White you know, um, you know, through those uh, ninth and 10th rounds. And then, you know, in the 11th round, you know, the fights were, uh, you know, still close. Um, uh, but, you know, you, you had uh, Chisora get caught with the left hand uh, there to put him down to the canvas, and he wasn't, you know, able to get up. Uh, so that gave the uh, KO win for Dylan White for him to, you know, retain the, minor titles that he has, the WBC silver title and the WBO international title, and uh, moved to 25-1. and one. Um, You know, at, at the time that um, the knockout happened, uh, you had two judges scoring the bout um, for Chisora, uh, 95-94, to 94, um, while the other judge had it 95-94 for White. Uh, so, you know, you had, I think, you know, through 10 rounds, they had um, Derek Chisora would have been up pretty much six rounds with that one-point deduction that he uh, got in the eighth round for a low blow. Uh, so it was a very close fight between those two, just like the first one. Uh, it was just that, you know, Dylan White was able to score that knockout victory over Derek Chisora uh, to, you know, have a definitive end in that particular fight. Um, right now I got off hold, uh, area code 205. Uh, 
what's going on? You're on the Boxing Source Radio Show. Hey, what's going on, James? It's Mike Grady. How you doing? Doing good, man. Doing good. Just, uh, you know, covering a few things here. You know, hit the uh, um, event that was at the Barclays Center. Someone called in to talk about that. And then, uh, you know, right now, just uh, touched uh, that uh, fight that was in the Ultra Arena between uh, Dylan White and Derek Chisora. Yeah, I didn't um, didn't watch the fight. I only saw um, the the knockout highlight. So you only uh, caught the uh, thing there with um, White scoring that left hand knockout. Um, of course, you know we had what what happened after the fight. He was saying that hey, you know I, I should be able to get a title shot. You know you got you know Joshua that was there in attendance. You got Deontay Wilder that has the WBC belt. Um, so he was just, you know, making his case that, you know, he should be, you know, a top candidate for, um, one of those champions, um, you know, going into 2019. Um, but, you know, since you weren't able to catch that particular fight, um, what about the uh, fights that were on, uh, Fox? Cause, uh, you know, I did touch on them earlier on the show. Uh, yeah, I watched them, um, I didn't see the uh, first one with Brazil. Did he, he ended up winning, right? Yeah, he won by knockout. Which were in like early or late? No, nah, it was late, like ninth round. Oh, okay. Okay, nice, nice. Um, but the Charlo twins fights. So I watched both of those fights. The fight against uh, against um, against Detroit. Um, What's his name? Tony Harrison. Yeah. To me, I didn't score the fight, but in the beginning, well, at least all the rounds that I was noticing, Charlo would come out strong in the first minute or so. Um, Tony Harrison would kind of get his distance and do something in the second minute, and then the third minute to me would be up in the air. Either Charlo would finish strong or Tony Harrison would land like, you know, a counter punch or something. Um, but I didn't see all of that much. Well, I, well, if you go off flow being the one who controlled the action, then there's that, but it wasn't like a lot of stuff that separated them to me. Like mm. the fight looked like a, I don't know if I can call it a competitive fight, but it looked like no one was separating themselves. And so Mm. in that instance, I didn't judge the fight. I didn't score the fight. But this is just me going off of, you know, what I'm seeing. And it seemed like Charlo come out strong first minute, and then something may happen. Maybe, maybe, um, um, and I keep forgetting his dude's name. Tony Harrison um, will come out and do something. Maybe he don't. Maybe he does. And it just was kind of a, like a, a slow fight to me. Like it wasn't. It wasn't. Nobody to me was just like righteously like. You could tell how anxious and eager Charlo was. And then you mm-hmm. knew what Tony Harrison was going to do, which was just stay back and just kind of look for the uh, counter shot. And a lot of times Tony Harrison's his plan worked to where they minimize, they minimize like interactions. And then he would like land a counter or something. 
Um, but Charlo was bringing the action. He was the one trying to, you know, make sure the fight paced itself how he wanted to. But he, he to me, it wasn't effective to me. That's that's the best way I could describe it. It was not effective. Which probably yeah, made and clear. Yeah, but I mean, usually, <clears throat> you know, the thought is that you have to do enough to beat the champion. And with Tony Harrison, I, I just didn't see that, you know, he did enough to, you know, beat the champion in, you know, uh, Jamal Charlo. And, you know, for the judges to, you know, basically say that um, that he won, well, one of the judges gave him like eight rounds. And I was like, how, how would you give, you know, uh, Tony Harrison eight rounds when he really didn't do that much in many in most of those rounds or pretty much a majority of the fight. Um, it, it was like one of those rare cases where you you know you didn't see the challenger do enough to take the fight from the champion, but gave the fight to the champion anyway. Uh, so I mean that's what I got out of it and. You know, it just, you know, shocked a lot of people. Um, you know, had uh, somebody call in that was, you know, there at the Barclays Center, and he said, like, everybody there pretty much thought that uh, General Charlo won that fight. Uh, so, you know, um, now Tony Harrison is the uh, WBC uh, Super Bestweight Champion. And, and we did talk about, you know, having an immediate rematch with uh, – Jamal Charlo, but um, you know uh, the uh, unified team that was in attendance there at her was like really expected to be uh, there to go up against Jamal Charlo with two undefeated records on the line, and now that is pretty much you know out of the window uh, there. So I mean I don't know what the, you know much make of that uh, being a decision for uh, Tony Harrison. I just felt that Jamal Charlo did enough to win that particular fight. I mean, from from my eye test, I would say, yeah, he wanted to, but I wasn't really sitting there scoring it. And even when I went back and looked at a couple rounds again, I'm like, yeah, Charlo pushing the action, but wasn't a lot of, like, it wasn't a lot of, like, punches that was landed to me. It wasn't like a lot of action for real. It was it was limited mm-hmm. action. And I don't know, I think what's the name, his plan worked, but but that ain't for me to decide and I didn't I didn't score the fight, so yeah. Yeah. But three I judges mean, he won. Yeah. So they yeah, three judges uh yeah, three judges uh felt that he, you know, was able to get that. Um get that decision uh, there. I mean, the uh, punch test that they had out there was um, Harrison had uh, 128 landed out of 377 punches thrown, while, you know, Charlo had 160 landed out of 548 punches thrown. So, I mean, you know, Charlo didn't do that well as far as, like, uh, landing with the jab, but... um, he did uh, score more power shots uh, there against uh, Tony Harrison. Um, but, you know, kind of like 
you know, what I was saying there at the, at the beginning of this uh, podcast was that you know, Jamal Charlo has had, like, when he had those uh, string of knockout victories that he uh, had um, against Jackson and Lubin, that he kind of, like, wanted to go off of that same, you know, uh, momentum to try to go after, you know, Austin Trout at first. And then I uh, hear in this fight against Tony Harrison, and he wasn't able to, you know, complete the job. So, you know, I think that he kind of – one thing that he does do is that he tries too too hard to try to go for the knockout instead of being patient and, you know, luring his opponent in the traps. And then after that, just, you know, making, uh, making that, you know, have him be more successful against his opponent. So, um, you know, that's, that's what true. I pretty much, you know, got out of that. Yep. So for the second fight, now that one, man, I didn't score the fight either, but to me, I didn't score the fight, though, but Korobov landed the cleaner punches, man. Yeah. <laughs> he landed. Yeah, that, that, that left hand that left hand was uh, getting in there a good number of times in that particular fight. And what's the name? Wasn't getting his ass off the line. He wasn't moving off the line after he punched or anything, which is why he was there to get hit. Mhm. Maybe he yeah. control, maybe Charlo controlled the action more or something. But mm-hmm. every time I looked up, I was like, I was like, dang Charlo, you know, like move Charlo, move your head Charlo. I was saying that the whole time I was watching the fight. Yeah. Yeah, and the thing is that you you have um, you know, someone that's coming off of you know pretty much one week's notice and. Everybody expects you to go right through this person because he hasn't, you know, really been uh, that active, you know, only having one fight over the past, you know, one and a half years that you're supposed to, you know, make easy work of, you know, someone like Korobov. But, uh, you know, particularly in the first half of the fight when, you you know, you saw Korobov uh, being able to land that left hand and, it, it just, you know, seemed like he wasn't really adjusting well to what Korboff was doing. And it, it, it took until that last round uh, for Jamal Charlo to have Korboff in big trouble. Um, but, you know, even with that, he wasn't able to score a knockdown and, you know, just ended up uh, finishing the fight with that unanimous decision. Uh, real quick, I got uh, area code 202 on here live on the uh, Boxing Source radio show. What's going on with you? Hey, what's going on, fam? This is World Rank checking in. I know it's been a while. Uh, can y'all tell me if my uh, audio's all right? Yeah, you all yeah, good there, World good. Rank. What's been good? Just chilling, man. Just chilling, man. Football season work kind of crazy. So, uh, yeah, I know I haven't been on in a while, but uh, how you guys doing? Pretty good. Yeah, doing doing all right. Just, uh, you know, going through, you know, what went down, uh, you know, Saturday night. Um you know, you had the thing there with um, Barclays Center um, <clears throat> with uh, Dominic Brazil scoring the late late uh, knockout and uh, Jamel Charlo being upset with that uh, decision and his uh, brother Jamal uh, going through 12 rounds from Matt Korobov. So, um, that, you know, it's pretty much, you know, what I've, you know, gone through and then, you know, touch on that Dylan White fight as well. 
it's it's kind of rough in terms of like the Charlos because the expectation is it expect it's like uh, Lomo Chico falls in this case and a couple of other guys falls in this case when they don't do what we expect. There's kind of a a real like disappointment around boxing fans and you know. I'm going to give credit to the opponents because they, you know, they really came in to win. And these are guys who uh, were very underappreciated. And I know a lot of people, I, I just now got on the call. So can y'all tell me, do either one of y'all think Harrison won? I didn't. I didn't. So to me, um, go ahead, Jack. I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead, finish your explanation. I'll come right. after you. I'm sorry. Now, I mean, <clears throat> what, what what I was seeing over the course of that particular fight was that, you know, I, I saw, you know, Tony Harrison uh, being in there trying to, you know, measure uh, Jamel Charlo, but he was only, like, coming in there with, you know, like singular punches or uh, just two-punch combos, not really putting uh, that many combinations together. Uh, while, you know, Jamel Charlo was going in there, uh, being the front man, trying to pursue Tony Harrison, um, you know, throw a little bit more combinations, uh, attack a little bit more over the course of the particular fight. And, you know, that, you know, I, I just didn't see Harrison being as aggressive uh, to try to take the fight from uh, Jamel Charlo. That was my overall, like, uh, thing there. I, I just didn't see that over the course of those rounds. And, you know, I saw that I felt that Jamel Charlo won the majority of the fight. You know, um, I was saying earlier that I expected the scores to be the other way around, that, you know, Jamel Charlo would have an 8-4 score on a judge's scorecard or two 8-4 scores on the, on the scorecards, but he didn't have any of that. Yeah, for me, um, I didn't score the fight. But I went back and I looked at a couple rounds. The fight to me went sort of like Charlo came out in the first minute. He came out strong. The second minute, either Charlo or Harrison would so, – so at least the first four rounds, I know, first three, four, four or five, Harrison would try to do something, counter or something in the, in the second minute, and then either one of them would crank it up in the last minute. And – to me, that was the the era of the fight. It wasn't it wasn't an exciting fight to me. It was like kind of just there. It was just like they were just kind of there. Nobody. Don't get me wrong. Charlo was pressing the action, but it was ineffective pressure, in my opinion. Um, Harrison wanted to limit the action, and he was doing just that. Like they limited action, and Outside of like the first when the outside of when the bell rings, Charlo didn't really like just touch him all that much. Nobody touched anybody for real. Like yeah, people got like clean punches landed every so often, but it it, it wasn't um it wasn't clean. Like it wasn't clean to me. So I can't say who won or didn't win, but it, it wasn't a um a clear win. All right, so the the next question I got for y'all is, is it in terms of the, in terms of the judging, is it um, corruption or is or do you guys just think like because you you 
you go on social media after these fights and you hear a lot of boxing can't get it right and 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 this and that and I'm not I'm not from that mindset. I just think when you have three different people on three different sides of the ring, uh they're not watching the monitor, you're going to get different scores. Everybody has a scorecard. If you go to so anybody's history, they always want somebody's going to have a scorecard of a fight that doesn't line up with the public. So is it? Do you guys think it's corruption in terms of the scoring, or it's just that boxing is just always going to be like this? Because I'm taking it as it's just going to always be like this because people see different things. They might see what they want to see. It's just so much into it. So I want to get y'all take on that. Yeah, I just feel that, you know, with, with it being um, three different judges getting three different looks, then um, – you're always going to have something like this in, in, in these particular fights. Now, you know, I had like someone on here earlier that, that was there, you know, at the Barclays Center, and, and they, you know, felt that uh, Charlo, Jamel Charlo won the fight, and like a lot of people that were there in attendance felt that uh, Jamel Charlo won the fight. Um, and that, you know, it almost looked like they didn't feel like they were, you know, close rounds. Because, you know, with something like this, you would think that there would be, you know, a couple of rounds where it would say it was, you know, back and forth or, you know, um, something that was really close. But you really didn't see that. But, you know, to Mike's point earlier, you really didn't have that much action over the course of that fight to where, you know, you would have saw like either – you know, a clear winner or, you know, someone that had a clear advantage. It was just something that was, I would say, what, mundane action, or so, so to speak. So, you know, that's kind of like what we, you know, got out of uh, this particular fight was that, you know, there wasn't enough action to where you kind of like seeing someone be a clear favorite um, during the course of the fight. So my thoughts are both. I think that um, if you deal with cash cows, if you deal with cash cows who have a country behind them, that's a good way I'll put it, um, then you have more of opportunity to have judges probably being bought off, hypothetically, quotation marks. At the same time, when I, so I was at the Deontay Wilder fight, and from my angle, I could see Wilder's, Wilder's like, um, his, so every time uh, Fury, Fury would dip to his left, which to me, he would dip to his right, I think. He would dip to his right. And that would put him right in the line of Deontay Wilder's right hand. And so in the stadium, I could see it every time. I could see Fury dipping, and I'm like, Wilder. Why are you rushing? Like, wait on him to dip and hit his hit his butter, you know? And so I was looking for that on TV, and it wasn't as clear on TV. Like, it wasn't as clear because, you know, they change the angle. They get it up high. They get it from the corner. And, you know, it just it wasn't a clear angle of seeing Fury dip down. And then, like, I could see it in the, in the, um, in the arena, like, where Wilder would hit him. And then finally when Wilder threw – he waited till till Fury dipped, and he threw to that to that side where Fury dipped. He hit him. Those were them two times he hit him real clean. Um, 
Yeah, so I think it's both. I think it's it's the vantage point. I said I was going to say it's the vantage point uh, of where you're at in the stadium versus us having all these different camera angles and telling us this. It could be a – it's just a different view. It's a different view altogether. So both. Now on the on the on the on on the on the decision part, kind of what I, I I'm questioning is when you have a bad decision, why is it that people kind of assume that the result is the real result? If that makes sense, like Herson in in a lot of people eyes, Herson lost that fight. So why is it opinion now as if Charlo has stepped down a notch or something? That part I don't get. Like, when is it okay for someone to say, let's say Felix Sturm, Oscar De La Hoya? Why is it that we got to go with the actual result when our eyes told us something different? Mm. <clears throat> I mean, that's what's on box, right? Yeah, that's, that's, you know, basically how, you know, things are here for you know, boxing, I mean, it's not like you can, you know, really go ahead and just say, hey, they got this wrong, this should be, you know, done this way, this should be changed, this should be reversed, or, you know, something where, you know, they have like a actual action to try to, you know, complain or, you know, protest a decision. That's only happened like, what, very few times after, you know, all these years of uh, boxing being, um you know, put to the scorecard. So, you know, unless if, you know, they have like a system where they get like one clear winner or something like that, then you're always going to have something like this. As, as you said, as you said, world rank, this is like, you know, part of the game to where you, you get these instances where you may see a fight being one way, but the decision is completely different. Yeah. I think so because, Go ahead, Mike. Go ahead, Mike. I think it depends on who's next to you. Like, <clears throat> for example, um, the um, J- James, who you thought won the Tyson Fury uh, Deontay Wilder fight? Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury. All right. So, if who you thought won, won right? I thought Wilder won. Okay, so let's say in this decision, I'm like, okay, so, well, damn, this is a bad decision because they scored a draw. Um, uh, Pacquiao, Tim Bradley. Uh, y'all both thought Tim Bradley lost that fight, right? Yeah, that first one. Yeah. yeah, so Pacquiao, Tim Bradley. Tim Bradley won whichever fight he won from Pacquiao, the first one. And so if I come to either one of y'all and I'm like, Hey guys, I don't know about that decision. I had Tim Bradley, you know, squeaking it out just from my point of view, which I did. Um, and then y'all look at me like you're crazy. But if you come to each other and y'all like, hey guys, I had Tim Bradley winning, you agree. So I think it's it's dependent on two things. It's dependent on the individual person's thought process on the fight, and if if that thought process lines up with the actual event. So let's say if me if me and World Rank talking about um the Wilder fight and I'm like, man, like you could the worst case give it a tie, but I think 
you know, with my scorecard, Wilder edged it out by, by one round with that last knockout, you know, by one point, excuse me, with that last knockout, um, we're in unison because we're together and the scorecard, whether it went with us or, or went against us, we're in unison so we, we can talk it up together. Uh, I don't know if I'm running in circles with what I'm saying. I don't know if I'm explaining it well, but it just depends on who's next to you and if they share the same point or not. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it just goes you know falls into the lines of you know like you were saying like how things are like much different, you know when you're when you're there in the arena than compared to you know when you're watching it on TV. Um, you know you kind of like see like things that you know there while you're there um, live that you're not necessarily seeing. Um, you know, while you're on the TV, because you might not get the same angle, um, you know, while sitting down and watching it on a camera than you are, you know, watching it uh, where you're there, you know, face-to-face in the ring, seeing those two fighters. So uh, you're always going to have those type of views out there, um, you know, going from a live view to, you know, a television view. So, um, but... With with the case of the thing with uh, Jamel Charlo and Tony Harrison, it it just seemed like a lot of people that were there on site at the Barclays Center, you know, felt the same way that you know people that were watching it on TV that they didn't see Harrison winning that fight in <laughs> in any sense. So um, I just think that you know with that, it it just seems like it's a bad decision, um, but. You know that's that's basically part of the game uh, there in the sport of boxing. Uh, just that, just that about have like uh, about a minute left here of the live session on the Boxing Source Radio Show. If you want to continue to listen, in, you call in at three four seven two three seven five five three nine. Hey James, one of the you can know, we go back? Yo, can we go back to talking about that second fight? Because I had a few more comments on it. Uh, the uh, Charlo Korbov. Yeah. All right. So, to me, world rank, like, I did not score the fight again, but Korobov landed the cleaner punches to me throughout that whole fight. Like, I was literally in every round like, Charlo, are you serious? Move your head. And maybe I got enwrapped in that of Korobov, like, landing all them punches and hitting him clean and stuff. And then them body shots he was throwing. I thought he was going to stop this man with the body shot. I thought he literally, literally going to hit him with a liver shot. So um, Charlo would throw the one-two. He'd throw the two. And then Corball would either slip the two, catch the two, do something, and then he'd come right under the two with his left hook. Or, or right, I don't know what it was, but he kept hitting him in the spot. And it was like a, a nice, clean, a, like effective, strong, you know, quick uppercut to the body. And I'm like, this man is, is going to stop this man if he, like, commit all the way to his shot and then he just keep hitting him with that, like, pow, that quick, you know, uppercut to the body. I ain't scored a fight, but Corval was very effective. And, yes, you could say the one-week replacement, but you could also say this man had 300 amateur fights. He probably pretty good at adapting to styles. That's that's probably not far from reasonable to say that he's very good at adapting to styles 
And between both of those guys, the one who was best able to adapt to Styles probably was Corbin. I mean, what's his name did it in the 12th round? Like, yeah, he did what he's supposed to, and then he hit him, and then <sighs> he didn't go to the body when he had him hurt. Like, like he nope. was patient at first, and then he just started, like, winging punches and stuff. Like, he started winging punches. I don't know, man. I, like, maybe the right decision happened, but Korbov hit him way too clean, dog. Like, literally too clean. If that was a Mayweather fight, Mayweather would win that fight if he was Korbov, like, outside of getting knocked down, obviously, but um, or getting hurt. Yeah. Well, no, let's say let's say getting hurt because cause that happened in um in the Madonna fight. Then he get hurt, like, toward the end or something like that in one of his fights. Uh, maybe, maybe my dumb. Maybe he got hurt, but he like went directly to the ring. But if that was Mayweather, Mayweather would have won the fight with with the way Corbal was countering with his left hand, or leading with his left hand. He was countering and leading. Like he was, he he was just, he was so much there to be hit that he was just like literally throwing that punch and he couldn't miss. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's difficult to assess. The Charlos, because I was listening to their uh, post-fight and even some of their pre-fight stuff, it just seems like these guys want to knock somebody out so bad that I don't know if they put a lot into game planning. You know what I'm saying? I, I just think that they, they think their talent can take them so far that they just oversee some of the nuances in the game. And then when they get with somebody who has a decent jab, be be it be Harrison or Korbov, they can be competitive with these guys. Yeah, and the uh, you know my thing with it is that you know I kind of like talk with it in reference to Jamel Charlo because you know he is under the you know tutelage of Derek James and 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 that you know a lot of people keep kept lauding Derek James for his work with Errol Spence Jr. and you know him um, you know. Actually, recently being with Jamel Charlo uh, here, you know, over the past few fights that, you know, it would kind of, you know, make a difference. I mean, he, you know, had those a couple of fights where he scored knockout victories. So I guess that kind of like carried over with him and that, you know, people expected him to, you know, knock out the rest of his opponents, uh, you know, on his way, you know, on his way up. Uh, But, you know, with him having this fight against, um, you know, Austin Trout and then now here against Tony Harrison with them uh with him not being able to get those uh knockout wins, then, you know, I guess the whole thing is a lot different now because now it seems like he has to do a little bit more in order to, you know, be more successful against his opponent instead of, you know, just utilizing the talents that people say that he has in order for him to be successful. You know, yeah. Uh, when they did the post fight interview, uh, James, he was just more so like he was. It was okay how Charlo handled everything. He was like, "Well, there was really nothing more we needed to work on." Uh, it was just one of those one of those things. So I think they're under the mindset that they are okay. They don't really have to fix anything uh, defensively or be you know more active or whatever the case may be. So. I don't know. I mean, yeah, the man had, yeah, that was kind of weird how he did that. 
the man has superhuman wins, so if he get more of a like if he takes the aerospace approach and go to the body on people, then he'd be more effective as opposed to just trying to throw their head and missing all the time. Because that's why Errol Spence is effective. He go to people's body, and he's able to touch right. you for many, many rounds. And then at some point, you slow down, and he starts touching you up top because your hand's going lower and lower, and he, that makes him effective. That makes Badu Jack effective. That makes um, Andre Ward effective. That makes, to an extent, uh, Floyd Mayweather effective outside of his superb Boxing ability. Yeah, but we're talking mm-hmm. about patient fighters, and I don't know if the Charlos fall under that category. I think the way that their personality is, the way that their fight style is, yeah. it's not a um, a seek and destroy style. They're not they're not trying to you know wait around or um, you know uh, what's the word um, try to um, I guess move move into that in the later rounds. They're trying to get you. Mm-hmm. They're trying to get you out. Early, they're not trying to uh, invest in the body. They're not trying to invest into to the later rounds. They feel like they shouldn't go to the later rounds, and I think that may be a mentality they have to change in order to uh, continue on the path of where they want to be at. Yeah, that's a yeah, that's what I'm thinking. It's is that they they kind of like go through things without you know that much patience, and that kind of like hurts them in the long run, and so. You know, in, in this particular case, that's that's what happened is that, you know, they, you know, particularly with Jamel Charler, he wasn't that patient um, and just ended up trying to, you know, go go for everything pretty much early instead of just taking his time, uh, thinking things out. And then once he uh, sees openings, then he could capitalize on those openings. Uh, here, like in the overtime section of the uh, Boxing Source radio show, I uh, had like another uh, caller in here, 813. Uh, what's going on? You were able to, you know, get in before uh, overtime. So uh, welcome to the Boxing Source Radio Show. Hey, what's up, guys? This is uh, Trump House in Tampa. What's up? I see there's uh, Mike on the line, and I think uh, Greg, I think, on the line, too. But what's up? Just definitely uh, glad to call into another great show for boxing. And I didn't get to see any of the fights this weekend. I knew all about them, but just I've been just over in your day with work. So, I will work on my listening skills this weekend, which I'm doing right now. Thank you. Yeah, this um, yeah, we're actually uh, with us uh, with Mike. Um, and uh, you know, we got here on the overtime section. Uh, you know, we did have another uh, fight um, that was over in the UK, uh, Manchester Arena, uh, that was for the IBF featherweight championship uh, between Josh Warrington and Carl Frampton, and well, Warrington was able to come in there uh, with the uh, decision victory over Carl Frampton. Um, you know, kind of was a little bit more aggressive there in this uh, particular fight. Um, you know, when you know trying to go after uh, Carl Frampton, I think that you know he had like uh, you know a recent change with uh, Frampton uh, with his trainers and his training regimen. That kind of like uh, was a, a little bit of a difference here in his fight against Josh Warrington and. We kind of like seeing the same Josh Warrington that we saw uh, when he was able to uh, get the win over Lee Selby uh, over in uh, May of this year. So he's able to retain that IBF, uh, you know, um, able to retain that IBF world title 
and you know also puts himself in a position to uh, try to go after uh, unification uh, bouts uh, in the featherweight division. And he, you know, did try to, you know, name drop after this particular fight, but there was one particular name that he didn't mention among that list. And uh, we kind of, like, know who that person is. And for some reason, I'm not surprised at all because they just really don't want to fight that guy because they know how good he is. But here for the time being, you got Warrington able to get this win over Carl Frampton. And at first I, I thought that, you know, Carl Frampton would have been able to Use his experience, you know, being in fights against, you know, likes of Santa Cruz and and uh, among others to, you know, be able to get a win here in this particular matchup. But we just saw the very same Warrington that we saw against Lou Selby, and he was a more active fighter, and um, you know, Carl Frampton wasn't able to like outbox uh, Josh Warrington. He kind of like was able to fight Warrington's fight instead of the other way around. Um. Well, I'm going to start with World Rank. What, what, are, you, what are your thoughts about uh, Josh Warrington here in this particular fight and where he stands in the featherweight division? Um, I don't really have much on the actual fight. Uh, Josh Warrington just seems like uh, an average guy that when he steps up to the elite competition, he's going to get outboxed. Uh, I do wonder how they're going to handle him in terms of who they put him in with. Uh, I don't I don't necessarily see Santa Cruz. I don't see Russell. Uh, I can see them trying to maybe regather Scott Quigg or somebody like that. I just want to – I'm curious about what route uh, they're going to take with him. And for Carl Frampton, I, I don't know where he goes either. Uh, it's a shame that uh, Santa Cruz uh, didn't give him that third fight. Uh, now it, it, it seems even less likely that he gets the third fight. So yeah, it's just more, it's just more interesting to see how they're gonna push these guys because I don't think they're ready for the top of the division. Uh, maybe a guy like Jojo Diaz or somebody like that might be a a good barometer. Maybe Valdez. Valdez is a decent is a would be a good fight. Uh, actually, I think Valdez would be the perfect fight uh, for Josh Warrington. The styles will mesh very well. It'll be a good entertaining fight. Um, but he, he's not the top of the division though. Yeah, um, you know, they were possibly saying that uh, Warrington could uh, ha- uh, make a defense against uh, Kid Galahad um, after this. Um, but, you know, other than that, yeah, I-, I don't see him, you know, being in the position to uh, face the uh, Leo Santa Cruz or Gary Russell Jr. They, I mean, maybe with Oscar Valdez, but I don't see it. And, yeah, it- it's just that he's he's up there. Um, at featherweight, but you just, I don't expect him to be, you know, any anywhere near the level of a Santa Cruz or, you know, a Gary Russell Jr. to where he would be able to have a chance against either one of those fighters. Um, did, you know, did, you see, uh, did, did you see them not uh, allow uh, Kid Galahad in the ring? Did you see that? They tried to block him from getting in the ring? Yeah, it seems like they're having some type – they have, like, some type of rule – uh, with in the UK or something like that, that they don't allow uh, other, you know, like people that are not directly associated with the fight in the ring for some reason. I think there was like a policy or something like that because that's like, you know, happened 
uh, multiple occasions, uh, especially recently, uh, over there in the UK. So I think it has something about that that you know I can look up uh, to where, yeah, they say like yeah, if uh, something happens with the uh, you know fighter that just fought, you know, with another um, person that's outside of the ring, that there could be like a lot of issues as far as like legal issues or whatever it is. So that's that's kind of like where that comes from. Yeah. Um, yeah, my thing with Warrington, though, is that, you know, he's able to, you know, score that win over Selby earlier this year and now getting this, uh, you know, win over Carl Frampton. That kind of, like, you know, puts him, you know, he, he has, like, a very – ends with a pretty good year. Um, but, you know, it, as far as, like, his overall uh, status in that featherweight division, I, like me, I don't, I don't even put him – I'm not sure if I could put him over Jojo Diaz right now. If if those two guys fought, I would probably put Diaz up there over Josh Warrington right now because for for Jojo Diaz, you got to be able to have, you know, the speed and the speed plus the activity to keep him off of you. And I don't think Warrington has that type of uh, activity or, you know, that – uh, overall stamina to do that for you know twelve rounds. So you know if they if they even thought about making that type of a matchup, then you know I kind of like seeing uh, Joseph Diaz as uh, you know somebody that would have a uh, advantage in that particular fight. Um, just revisiting um, you know what happened uh, earlier in the uh, day. Also, you know I covered the thing with that uh, rematch between uh, Dylan White. And uh, Derek Chazor with uh, Dylan White scoring that 11th round knockout win, um, you know, keeping his position uh, there in the heavyweight rankings, um, you know, number one in the WBC and number one in the WBO. Um, and, you know, he's trying to see if he could go ahead and get a, a world title shot in 2019. Uh, but, you know, it's, you know, a uh, matter of uh, what what's going to be official here in the next, uh, you know, few weeks or so, if they're going to, you know, go in that direction. It seems like, you know, he's trying to position himself to fight Anthony Joshua over in uh, Wembley Stadium on April 13th. Uh, but there have been, you know, other possibilities uh, that have been thrown up on there. So kind of like makes it to where Dylan White's in a little sticky situation uh, if he's not able to, you know, get a uh, immediate title shot uh, right there. Um, World rank. What what's your thoughts about Dylan White? Um, you know, with uh, what he's been able to do this year with uh, three uh, three wins, and Kyle like put himself as one of the top guys in the heavyweight division. It's funny because he's in a situation where politics is part of his 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 factor because. Uh, yes, you have Wilder. Yes, you have Joshua. Yes, you have um, whoever else has a belt, if anybody else has a belt. Uh, but he's had to take tough fight after tough fight after tough fight, and he still hasn't had a title shot. He clearly deserves a title shot, and I think it's 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 downright wrong how he's being treated in terms of getting maybe uh, – I know he was high at WBC. He was high, he was high – and almost all these sanctioned bodies, and you'll hear things about maybe he'll fight this guy, maybe he'll fight that guy. Um, 
I really want Joshua Wilder. I think for me, that's the number one fight, even over a Fury Wilder rematch. I think that's number one. But if that fight doesn't take place, I think it should be uh, Dylan White. He's earned it uh, definitely for sure. Um, and he seems like he's being more cleaner with his punches. He's um, he's doing a better. His work is looking much more cleaner than the old Dylan White, who just seemed like he'll just bum rush you. Um, so it'll be interesting to see his his how his style translate to fighting someone with a more technical base, either it be uh, most likely Joshua. Uh, but he def- definitely de- deserves his title shot. Yeah, the thing with uh, Dylan White is he, he has improved a little bit, uh, you know, over the course of those uh, two years since his uh, first fight uh, with Anthony Joshua. Um, it just has to be uh, a matter of, you know, where he's going to be positioned at you know, going into next year, um, you know, the uh, interest is still there for uh, Wilder uh, to face Fury in a rematch. Uh, so he wouldn't be able to, you know, get that fight uh, anytime soon. So the next route would be, you know, Anthony Joshua. And, you know, with, uh, you know, Dylan White having that number one position in the WBO rankings, then, you know, that should kind of like put him uh, right there to, you know, face uh, Anthony Joshua as the uh, number one contender there for the WBO. But it's like you said, it, it's just a matter of politics of where do they actually want to have, you know, Dylan White at that position to, you know, fight Anthony Joshua for those belts, or <clears throat> do they want to see if they could wait it out to see if the WBC will, Take, try to take action and have, you know, Deontay Wilder face Dylan White uh, later on down the line in 2019. But, I mean, that that's just um, something that, you know, I don't think Dylan White wants to uh, pretty much wait for because uh, that could – that might not happen for a little while, actually, in that case. Um, uh, Terrell, what's, what's your thoughts about uh, Dylan White and that weight scene right now? Yeah, so I mean, it's just great to get a, a decisive win for for, for uh, Dillian White and everything on the Strasor uh, series. Uh, so that, that's pretty much set and done with that. But like I said, logically, when you look at uh, heavyweights, uh, what's next was uh, next year, it's logical for Joshua to go ahead and fight Dillian White. It's logical. You got a fan base. Both guys are from the from the, from, uh, the country, and that's definitely going to sell out that stadium. So at the same time. I don't know if Joshua has, still has hopes of trying to get a Wilder fight, possibly. I don't know if that's going to happen because we, we're pretty much certain that uh, Wilder is, is pretty much hell-bent on just going forward to, with the Fury rematch. Uh, you, you know, and what's funny, either way, there, there's money in it either way for, for Wilder, Joshua, and whoever's involved in this. It's just a matter of if, if we're going to get a unified champion or not. That's really what it boils down to. And do I think that's going to happen? I mean, it's it's so funny now because now these guys are coming out on on network TV stand stating, "I want to fight Wilder, I want to fight Joshua," and all BS aside. But the one thing Anthony is, is also stating too that uh, he doesn't want any dreamy dream world contracts coming up in the fight for negotiations, things like that from the Wilder side, uh, which we have been previously see before. So, but at least we, I, I don't know, we're close, but we're still not close. And still, yet no fight in sight. But I, I, it's once again, 
I don't know what to make of it because like Wilder, at least Wilder has options. He can go to Fury side or Joshua side, either one. Either way, it's going to make money. Uh, that, that's ultimately what they're in it for. Boxing is the business to make that money and to uh, make defense, things like that. But are we closer? No. Still got a lot of rhetoric going back and forth between all sides now. And now you got Fury in there, too. He's going to throw his cap in there. And even with Dillian White, number one for the WBC, and even coming early next year, he's going to be number one for for Joshua's uh, WBO title. So at some point in time, we're going to have a fight. It's just a matter of who, when, and where. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there in that case, um, you know, the case with Wilder, it seems like he has you know a few options uh, there. You know where you know he could you know go for that Fury rematch, uh, which could be you know fairly lucrative for him. Uh, you know he has to fight for the undisputed championship and Anthony Joshua, uh, which would you know bring him lots of money and you know the opportunities to you know be the the uh, undisputed number one heavyweight. Um, and then, you know, also you still have the possibility of an Ortiz rematch. Uh, you know, people, you know, still have that thought about, you know, what happened in that Ortiz fight in March that, you know, they want to see if uh, Ortiz could get another shot there. So um, with Deontay Wilder, he, he kind of like has a good number of options uh, for his next fight or his next couple of fights uh, there. So, you know, I kind of like think the uh, – the cards kind of like lay on him and what he uh, ends up doing or, or plans to do uh, there in, in the uh, future going into 2019. Uh, Mike Grady, what, what do you think about uh, White and the overall uh, heavyweight scene? So, again, I didn't watch the fight, but if Dylan White relegated to just throwing that Mike Tyson left hook, he ain't going to beat the big boys. Yeah, he beat some guys who get tired in the 10th, 11th, 12th round. But, um, I mean, the only guy that he really, like, outboxed per se was Joseph Parker. And over time, you could tell the level of Joseph Parker. It probably won't vote well against him if he fights a Joshua or Ortiz or a Wilder with his style. I mean, unless he catch him early or something, I don't think it would bowl well, like, over time. In terms of the heavyweight picture, I think Wilder also has one more option. Uh, Wilder been busting his butt, it, you know. Like, I wouldn't be mad if he had a um, a light touch, you know, fight a Brazil, fight your mandatory. And, um, you know, even though Brazil probably will be rugged, I don't think Wilder should continue uh, going after this gauntlet like this. I mean, unless it is Fury, then yeah, sure. But I wouldn't be mad if the man had like a a rest. In terms of Joshua and stuff, I mean, whenever he's ready to step up and fight people, I mean, it'd be great to see. It'd be great to see who the real champion is. In terms of Fury, um, honestly, any one of them between Joshua Fury and Wilder would be good fights. Like taking uh, taking Ortiz out of it, I think any one of those guys would would make good fights. But in my opinion, Wilder Wilder will KO um, Fury this next time. 
And to be real, I think with Fury's tendency of ducking to his right like that, I think Joshua would, would see that and would, would probably touch him. If Fury gets still, Joshua could, could touch him. But you throw in Joshua being stiff and Fury being able to, like, you know, jab and move, that would be interesting. That would be an interesting combination to see. But I think definitely um, Joshua would, would be able to touch Fury and in turn hurt him. And with a U.K. judge, they wouldn't give Fury all that time. If Joshua touched him and he fell in any instant, they wouldn't give him any benefit of the doubt over in U.K., I wouldn't imagine. But interesting fights and looking forward to them. Hmm. Well, I mean, I in reference to that thing with the uh, mandatory defense, um, it, it's just up to the WBC if they want to, you know, actually enforce it. Um, you know, usually, you know, they have the thing for uh, WBC mandatories to um, be able to have their shot within, uh, you know, 12 months of the WBC champion holding the title. Um, so it's just a matter of if the WBC wants to, you know, have that decision to actually enforce it. Uh, so a uh, fight with Dominic Brazil um, may be in the cards. They just have to see, you know, if it, you know, makes sense at the time. Um, if, you know, Wilder wants to, you know, go ahead with that. Uh, if he's not able to get that rematch with Tyson Fury. Um, so, you know, that's, you know, while that's a possibility, um, I don't think that is, you know, highly likely unless if it's like actually enforced by the WBC. So um, that's why I kind of like rule that out. Um, I think that, you know, people are kind of like more interested in the fights where, you know, Deontay Wilder had to, you know, go up against a Luis Ortiz or go up against a Tyson Fury to where, you know, we actually see where he is as far as, like, his uh, position in the heavyweight division. Um, and if he, you know, doesn't really, you know, have those type of fights, then, you know, some people will look at him a different way in that sense. So that's where I kind of, like, see that with um, uh, Deontay Wilder and, uh, you know, um, I would say Dylan White. So that's the thing that we, we got going on. Um you know, with that kind of like covered uh, most of, you know, what I wanted to cover um, in this particular episode of the Bison Source Radio Show. Just wanted to, you know, give a quick note um, that, uh, you know, according to like latest reports, uh, you did have a uh, former WBC light heavyweight champion, Adonis Stevenson, uh, wake up from his coma. So he was you know, able to come out of uh, that here. So um, after his uh, brain injury that, you know, followed in his, uh, lost to um, his in his fight against uh, Oleksandr Kovacic. So um, we're still trying to uh, see or monitor uh, his um, condition after that. Um, but, you know, he was, like, in critical condition, and then he uh, was able to, you know, come out of that and uh, be awake. So, but it seems like uh, he had, like, um, paralysis on the right side of his body uh from you know what I, what I was uh, reading also so he still have uh that to um you know deal with uh there so um you know hopefully uh he'll be able to you know recover and get to a good enough condition to where he'll be able to get 
uh, out of the hospital there. But uh, as far as like uh, his fighting career is concerned, uh, that you know is in a huge jeopardy, and I'm not sure if uh, that'll uh, be able to uh, continue after his uh, loss to Alexander Kovacic. Um, you know, with that being said, uh, that's the close of this particular episode of the Boxing Source Radio Show. Um, gonna probably most likely table uh, the show for uh, next week, so you'll probably uh, not see the next episode until the year 2019, uh, going into January, and uh, preview on fights that are up for that month. So um, this uh, particular uh, show is probably the last show of the year. I'd like to you know thank everybody uh, that has called in over the course of the year uh, 2018. Uh, y'all have been a, a huge um, asset to uh, this particular podcast. Uh, you know, bring it to the level that it is. Um, and I thank y'all for uh, you know tuning in and uh, giving in your take of you know what's been going down over the course of the year in the sport of boxing. Uh, so I wanted to you know do that. Um, you, know, you do have uh, these uh, shows on demand on uh, Anchor.fm in uh, Google Podcasts and on iTunes so that you'll be able to listen uh, to those uh, when you can as well. So uh, when you have the opportunity, uh, you could go back and listen to uh, some of those shows that are, you know, that happened over the course of this year. Uh, So um, for this uh, particular network, the Go Long Media Channel, you do have the Cohort Truth on Sports and Take the Cell uh, football talk show. So, uh, be on the lookout for those shows as well over the course of the week. Um, and like I say at the end of every show, point of boxing is to hit and not get hit, not understanding trade. On that note, I'm out. Have a good evening, everybody. <laughs>